this morning. We're continuing our study in church membership. And so if you haven't been with us, uh, welcome. We're in part four. Um, we have been looking over these past three weeks of, of what, what a healthy church member is. And so if you remember, what, that the big, our, our main aim is to be a healthy church. That's what, that's what we want to be here. And we've, we've seen that healthy churches consist of healthy church members. Um, and so, so that's what we're, we're looking at. What is a healthy church member? And so the first week, just a, a bit of review, first week, a healthy church member is a functioning church member, someone who, who has a role and functions. A, week two, we said that a healthy church member is a unifying church member, someone who aims for maintaining and sustaining the unity of the church. Then last week, we saw a selfless church member, someone who considers others is a sign of a healthy church member. And then this week, we're going to look at a praying church member. So, so I want to say and, and, and convince you today that a healthy church member is a church member who prays. Now, if, if you have been reading the book, so we have a book on, on church membership that, that we've um, gotten for you guys, and many of you have, have commented that you've read it. If you want a copy, talk to me. We've got a few left over. Um, but, but if you've read the prayer chapter um, in the book, he focuses mainly on praying for your pastor. Um, I don't want to take an entire sermon telling you to pray for me. Okay, so, so I'm going to expand it a little bit, and we're going to look at just the, the broad role of prayer in the life of a healthy church member. We'll see at the end. I will, I will tell you and urge you to pray for me specifically, but um, we're, we're going to look at the bigger picture of prayer in the life of a church member. And so you can't have a healthy church without healthy church members. And so hopefully you've seen, many of you were encouraged by last week's sermon, um, and, and I, I just want to remind you that, that nothing in this in these messages are groundbreaking. These are simple, basic truths, but it's good for us to be reminded of, and I'm glad many of you were encouraged last week. I hope many of you are encouraged again this week, but it's good for us as a church family to be reminded of who we're called to be, both individually and corporately, that this is where we're going, where we're longing to see God lead our church. And so this morning, we're going to see that a healthy church member is a praying church member, and so before we even get to the specifics of, of how you can be a praying church member, I just want to, to make sure we're all on the same page and we recognize the significance of prayer in the life of the Christian. Okay, so, so just, just to start out, to put it very bluntly, prayer is a mark of Christian life. Okay, prayer is a mark of Christian life. In other words, a prayerless Christian uh, is probably, most likely, almost certainly a dead Christian. Okay, a prayerless Christian is a dead Christian. One author puts it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And so he, he explains Christian prayer as breathing, as, as part of the Christian life, as much a part of the Christian life as breathing is to physical life. His point being that Christians, through prayer, evidence that they're alive, that, that they're actually uh, moving and, and active. And so spiritual life is maintained by constant prayer. And one author, another author, Michael Reeves, has this little book called Enjoying Your Prayer Life. And, and in that, he says that prayer isn't something that you do. So, so a lot of times we, we think of prayer as just an add-on, an extra side of the Christian life. And we say, well, I gotta, I gotta do the extra stuff. And he says, that's not what prayer is. Instead, he says, and he's quoting uh, a church father, he says that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. 
And so he says, prayer isn't just something you add on, something you do. Prayer, he says, is the chief exercise of faith, which means that prayerlessness, follow me, is a symptom of faithlessness. You see that? So, so prayer is the chief exercise of faith. So my faith being exercised is, is prayer, which means if I'm not praying, it means my faith is dormant. I'm not, I'm not exercising it. And so failure to pray is proof of a lack of faith. Or, as Reeves says, quote, prayerlessness is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of belief in God. Prayerlessness, he says, is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of belief in God. And, and I'm afraid that my prayerlessness displays my lack of faith more often than my prayerfulness displays my abundance of faith. So that's coming from me. And that, that's, just, that's just reality. I'm afraid that my prayerlessness displays my lack of faith more often than my prayerfulness displays my abundance of faith. To be honest, when, it, when I read prayer defined as the chief exercise of faith, I, with Michael Reeves, thought, oh my Lord, how faithless I am. And that, that's just real. I need to exercise my faith more. I need to be more faithful in prayer. I need to grow in the discipline of prayer, which means at the end of the day, I need more faith. Now, now, this is the case for every Christian, I'm almost certain. At the start, we should recognize that prayerlessness plagues every Christian, so don't be discouraged. I wasn't discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Prayer is one of those things, like Bible reading or evangelism or eating healthy, one of those things that, that you're never quite up to par. You're always in need of growth. Prayer is just one of those things. I think if you, if you surveyed 100 Christians and asked them, are you satisfied with your prayer life? I'm almost certain, I won't do this because I don't want to be wrong, but I'm almost certain that 100% would say, I, I have room for growth in prayer. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so I'm not unique in my struggle to pray. You're not unique in your struggle to pray because prayer and its connection with faith is always going to be, to some extent, unnatural to sinners, Faith, it does not come naturally to us. We have to pursue it. We have to fight for it. And so prayer, if, the, if it's the exercise of faith, is always going to be something we struggle to do and have room for growth. And so in our struggle to pray, we take heart. I, I want you to be encouraged this morning. Jesus is the friend of sinners who lack faith. Jesus has sent his spirit into our hearts to help us pray. That's one of the things that he helps us do. Jesus, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection has reconciled us, you and me, to a right relationship with God, with the triune God, with the Father, Son, and Spirit, so that we have communion with God. We have a real relationship with the triune God, a relationship that involves God speaking to us and us listening to his speaking, but also us speaking to him and him listening to our speaking. Prayer, one author describes, is having God's ear. I mean, you think about that? You have God's ear. He's listening. Because of what Christ has done, the result of his work on our behalf, we have God's ear. He listens to us. He cares about us. He actually desires for us to talk, to commune with him. And that relationship, that communion, right, the result of what Christ has done is what we need as we traverse life in a fallen world. And so the reality of, of life for Christians as pilgrims in this world, we need God. We need him, and prayer is just the way that we have him. It's the way that we, we cultivate 
and remind ourselves of the relationship that is ours through what Christ has done to us. We've been adopted and reconciled. And so we need God. We need to know that he's for us. And we need to know that he is for us even when our prayer life is lacking. Okay, so just know that. You don't have to straighten up your prayer life in order to get God to be on your side. God is on your side because of Jesus. You can't do anything to get him more on your side than he already is. Maybe you just need to hear that today. Let that free you from from the legalism of, I've got to pray more. No, no, no. God accepts you as you are. You get to pray more. And so growth in prayer must be grounded in this fact that we're dependent upon him. In fact, one pastor, one of my my favorite definitions of prayer, one pastor once described prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare. He writes that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. So you hear the the contrast there? A wartime walkie-talkie is different than a domestic intercom, right? Think about the, uh, the, the mansion that has, you know, it's not real common now, but there used to be the speakers when I'd go to a friend's house, had speakers in every room. I think, wow, this is amazing. But those speakers were just so, hey, for my convenience, hey, mom, bring me some food. Or mom could say, hey, it's time for dinner. Everyone come down. It was for convenience. And he's saying prayer is not like that. It's not just to increase your, your convenience on earth. It is a wartime walkie-talkie. And it's good news. It's encouraging that our wartime walkie-talkie won't ever need new batteries. We ought to be glad that the one listening on the other end is never too preoccupied to hear and to answer our cries. Prayer is a precious gift to the Christian, and prayer is a precious gift to his church. And so prayer is crucial to the life of the Christian, and just as it is, just as private prayer is crucial to the life of the Christian, so prayer in the church is crucial to the life of the church. Okay, so, so that's, where, that's why we, I want us to be a praying church. A church's corporate prayer life is only as good as the prayer lives of the individuals who make it up. And so, so if I want us to be a praying church, I want us all to be praying members. Or put it another way, the church's prayers are dependent upon the church's prayers. The church's prayers are dependent upon the church's prayers. And the more prayers a church has, the healthier that church is going to be. That's what what I'm calling us to, is is to be healthy, praying church members. I want every single church member to be growing in their prayer life. It's not enough to say, which I've heard this before, I've said this before, but it's not enough just to say, we have Mrs. So-and-so, and and she's our prayer warrior. We have Mr. So-and-so. Often it's Mrs. Right? I think that says something about the, the men. But, or we have Mrs. So-and-so, and she prays. Maybe you have a grandmother or, or a mom or someone who, who you knew that she was always praying for you. That's, that's good. We need prayer warriors, but that's not enough for the whole church. We need every member to be a prayer warrior. Prayer warriors should not be the exception. Rather, they should be the norm. Where prayer is present, it is saying something. It's speaking, it's shouting, it teaches the church that we really do need the Lord. But where prayer is absent, it reinforces the assumption that we're okay without him. So where prayer, I, w- I want prayer to be present, always here, 
part of this service, part of our lives, part of, of how we are made up, part of our DNA, because I never want us to forget, I never want to forget that we really do need the Lord. We really do need him, and prayer is calling out to him. And so as Christians and as church members, as, as a church, our prayerlessness says something just as loud as our praying says something. And so I want us to be a praying church. I don't just mean prayer meetings or prayer groups. I mean, I want us to be a church filled with members who pray because we all know our need for God, both individually, which would overflow naturally into us corporately. So that's what I want us to be. So with that being said, let's, let's pray as we begin. Father, I'm asking that you would strengthen us and encourage us and equip us to, to be prayer warriors, every one of us. Lord, we, we need you, and we repent of our faithlessness that has, has been shown in our lack of prayer. We need you, and we ask that you would grow us in these ways. That's in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, we have three sections that we're going to work through, uh, and these are just three things that healthy members pray for, three ways for healthy members to pray. Okay, so, so we're going to see first, healthy members pray for the church, and then second, healthy members pray for other members, and then thirdly, we'll see healthy church members pray for their leaders. Okay, so let's start there with number one, healthy church members pray for the church. Okay, so the first practical focus of praying church members ought to be the church itself, and so I want us to look at Psalm 127. So you can turn to Psalm 127 as we begin. We're going to read that in just a minute. But as you're turning, I, just, I want to make one thing clear, and that is that we can't do church, we can't do this thing called church without God's supernatural intervention. So you just need to know that we can't do this without God at work. Maybe I should say we shouldn't want to do church without God's intervention because the reality is, and this reality scares me to death and ought to scare you to death, that we could, as a church, keep doing this church thing week after week, after week, after month, after month, after year, after year. We could keep having services, coming to Sunday school, having fellowship dinners, having members meetings. We could continue to do all of this without God's intervention, you know that? We could just keep showing up and not need God at all. That's scary. I, I think there are probably churches that are doing it right now. That's scary. We could do church without God. I don't want us to be that kind of church. I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I don't want to be a pastor who just functions apart from my dependence on God. And the only thing to prevent me from being that kind of pastor and us from being that kind of church, the only thing to prevent that from happening is to realize that for us as a church, for me as a pastor, for you as a church member, you need God for this church to accomplish anything worthwhile or permanent. Right? So, so that's what we, we just got to be okay with that. If God doesn't act we're wasting our time. So you just, need to, you just need to solidify that in your mind. And so look at Psalm 127. I'm just gonna, gonna read the first two verses. So Psalm 127, beginning in verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. And we'll stop there, just those first two verses. But, but notice in these examples, as, as he's laying out these examples, there, there's two dynamics at work. There's the divine agent, there's the Lord at work, but then there's also the human dynamic. There's, there's the human activity. So, so there's those who labor to build the house, right? They're actually laboring, they're actually working. The, the watchman who stays awake is actually staying awake. He's actually doing something to watch the city. The one who gets up early and goes to bed late, working tirelessly between the two, because he's anxious or she's anxious about life, is actually working day after night after day after night. So there's a human element. There's actual work and activity. There's human effort. But notice the contrast in these two verses. And I would say the point of the verses is the contrast. Even though there's all kinds of human effort, if God isn't in it, notice, if the Lord isn't building the house, if the Lord isn't keeping watch over the city, if the Lord isn't providing, then it's all in vain. So there can be all kinds of human activity. If it is not accompanied by divine activity, it's all in vain. It's all useless. It's all meaningless. The implication simply being we need God to be at work in our church. I mean, do you want him to build this church? Or do you want to labor in vain? I want him to build this church. I don't know the plans for this church. You shouldn't trust my blueprints. I want him to build the church. And if he's not going to build it, if I'm not dependent on him, then, then I'm wasting my time and I'm actually stealing your money. You should want him to build this church. You need him to. I need him to. We need him to. We need God to do things that only God can do in our church. I mean, there's a similar dynamic. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul lays out a similar dynamic. He says, I planted, these people are arguing about, why well, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, or I follow this apostle. And Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. So neither he, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God is something because he's the one who gives growth. Again, that's the same dynamic. You can plant and water and plant and water and plant and water, but if God doesn't cause growth, growth isn't going to happen. At the end of the day, growth is not up to us. Building this church is not up to us. We can't make anyone or anything grow in the way we want. That is on God. And prayer is the means that God has ordained to accomplish his purposes. Prayer is how we plead with God to act in ways that only God can act. Prayer is how we plead with God to build this church. We need him. And so we ought to call out to him. This means that a prayerless church or a church with prayerless members is a church that either A, doesn't totally understand its total dependence on God, or knows that God must act but just doesn't care enough to act. And to call out to him. I want, you, I want you to know that we need God. We can say that we care about our church. We can say that we love our church. We can say that we want our church to grow. We can say we want our church to be healthy. But, maybe you've heard the saying, talk is cheap. You can say that all you want. If you're not crying out to God in prayer to do these things, then you don't care about the church. 
And so my lack of regular prayer for the church painfully reveals my lack of care for my church. If I'm not praying for my church, I don't care for my church. And so I want us to grow. I want to be a pastor who leads by example. I want us to grow in this dependence on the Lord. I want our church to be a praying church filled with praying members. So, so here's just a few ways that we, you and I together, can pray for this church. He's just, I'm going to list some bullet points. Pray for effective ministry. You ought to pray for the effective ministry of this church. One author says, a church's commitment to prayer is one of the greatest determiners of its effectiveness in ministry. A church's commitment to prayer is one of the greatest determiners of its effectiveness in ministry. So the effectiveness of all that we do is dependent upon our prayers, praying for effectiveness. And so I would ask you, church member, is the ineffectiveness of our church's ministry a result of your prayerlessness? Is the ineffectiveness of our church's ministry a result of your prayerlessness? I mean, how often do you pray for the various ministries of this church? How often, since you've been a member here, have you prayed for our worship service, for our Sunday school classes, for our Awana ministry, for our youth group, for our benevolence ministry, for our financial giving, for our nursery, for we worship, for kingdom kids? And how often do you pray for the ministries of our church? I mean, I know that, and I'm thankful for this fact, but many of the Sunday school classes pray for each other, right? My class does that too. We pray for one another, and that's good. But have you ever prayed for other Sunday school classes, for members of other classes? Or do you say, here's my line. I'm only going to pray for these people. You have to pray for every Sunday school class, for every Sunday school teacher. We need God to make every ounce of our ministry effective, and even though some would say we're a smaller church, maybe you think that we're just a small church, we still have great needs and ought to pray for all of our church's ministry. And so pray regularly for our ministries. I mean, pray in light of Psalm 127 that we just read, asking God to give growth, asking God to build our church, asking God to make our efforts successful to accomplish his will through our church. So pray for the effectiveness of our church's ministries. Second, you can also pray for healthy church growth. Pray for healthy church growth. I want our church to grow. I mean, I want it to grow and grow and grow and grow. Hear me say that, but I want our growth to be according to God's will and standards. No one else's. And growth for one church may not look the same as growth for another church. I want growth according to God's will for our church. I want our church growth to be healthy church growth. I want our church growth to be a result of real spiritual change. I mean, I'd, ra- I'd much rather our church have 50 faithful, spiritual, growing Christians than 5,000 sporadic, hit-or-miss, uncommitted, stalled-out Christians. I mean, all day, every day. So, so, when you, so when you hear me say, I want us to grow, I'm not saying I want us to, to have building plans and, and overflow at the seams. I want us to grow towards health and strength. I want that to look however God wants that to look. Can a church of 500 be healthy? Absolutely. Can a church of 50 be unhealthy? You bet. Right? So, so, so size isn't a determiner of health or of healthy growth. My point isn't size. My point is quality. And genuine spiritual growth, which I want us to have, is dependent upon God. So we ought to pray for real, good spiritual health. 
Third, we ought to pray for unity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God's design for his church is unity. Division is antithetical to the church. Division attacks at the very fabric, the core of the church. And division has destroyed many local churches. And so you ought to pray for the unity of our church. We ought never to take it for granted. If you feel like we're united, thank God for that and plead with it to continue. We ought never to assume that unity comes naturally. We need God to help us maintain the bond of peace here. And so pray for unity. Last thing I'll mention in terms of what what we can pray for, healthy church members, pray for sound doctrine. Pray that our church holds firm to sound teaching, to sound doctrine. It's related, related to unity in that false teaching aims at dividing and destroying the church. Right? In the early church, you read in the New Testament, false teaching is what would often rip churches apart. People would come in and begin teaching false things and, and trying to lead the Christians away. And so the reality is there's a standard of truth that the church, to remain a church, must hold to. We must hold fast to sound doctrine. As a pastor, one of the things I'm tasked with is guarding the sheep from false teachers, from false teaching. I ought to know how, how to discern and how, how to point you to the error of false teachers. So if someone comes in and says, hey, here's this new teaching, let me tell you about it. My job is to say, no, 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 not in here. Right? That's one of my goals. One of your goals as members, one of the things you're tasked with is ensuring that your leaders don't stray from the truth. And so if I start teaching false things, you are responsible for removing me from this position. The church must hold to the truth. There is a standard that must be maintained, and we need God to help us. I mean, I, I pray this often. We ought to pray for the gospel to be preserved in this church at this address for decades to come. I mean, pray, Lord, in a in, in hundred years, may there be a gospel-believing church at 335 Fox Hill Road. Pray that. Pray that the gospel would remain. I mean, since 1964, right, this is when we, when, we, when we started our beginnings, maybe a year before that, but 64 is kind of our official constitution date. But since then, a lot has changed in this church. I mean, members have come and gone. Buildings have been taken down. Uh, th- buildings have been built. Carpet and paint have been replaced. A soundboard has been installed. A screen has been put up. The organ has been disconnected. A lot has changed about this church. I see a lot of you looking over at the... It's still there. It's just not plugged in. A lot has changed. However, I have no doubt that the original founders of this church would be overjoyed that the gospel has not changed. The gospel that this church that we hold to is the same gospel that that prompted them to start a, a gospel mission on Fox Hill Road. While some things have changed, we are still proclaiming the gospel message that first began us as a church. And we ought to pray that to be the case in 60 more years with a whole nother group of people. We ought to pray that we as a church hold to sound doctrine. Well, then second, that's how we can pray for the church. Second point, healthy members pray for other members. And so we shouldn't only pray for the general effectiveness of the ministry of this church. We also ought to pray specifically for other members of this church. And so the call to Christian love, right? So, so if you're a Christian, you're called to love, called to love others, and that call to love is worked out primarily in the life of the local church. 
So, so the one another commands that are found throughout the New Testament, love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, these commands are expected to be carried out in the context of local church relationships. That's the assumption as you read these calls and commands in the, the New Testament. This means that by nature of your membership here, you have a whole group of family members that you are divinely called to love. You don't choose them. You're stuck with them. Remember we, we said this a few weeks ago. And one of the primary ways that we love one another is by praying for one another. This is one of the primary ways we express love and care for each other, for other members of the body, is through prayer. By praying for one another, we bear one another's burdens. We lift up our brothers and sisters because there is one and only one who can and must intervene in their lives, whatever they're going through. We, we lift them up. We cast them upon the Lord. He's the only one who can comfort, who can heal, who can answer, who can change things. And so we pray for one another. I mean, the reality is we're all going through life's dangers, toils, and snares. Right? We all are. We're all dealing with issues. We've all got issues. We're all dealing with spiritual or emotional or physical issues. We're all dealing with fears or challenges or disappointments or unknowns down the road. The list could go on. We're all dealing with that. And we, as members of this local church, ought to know that other members are praying for us as we go through these things, as we're facing these challenges. We ought to know that others are praying to God on our behalf. And we ought to, as members of this local church, be praying for other members. Do you see, it, it works both ways. We pray for others as they're going through stuff, and we know and trust that they're praying for us as we go through stuff. That's how it works. We're given one another for that mutual support. We to pray for one another. There's certainly no, no problem with you praying for those outside of this church, outside of our fellowship. I mean, I would assume that you pray for kids and coworkers and neighbors and, and old friends, all, all, of, all of which who, who are not a part of this body. I assume you're praying for other people. However, those outside of this body should not be the primary focus of your prayers for others. Let me say that again. Those outside of this fellowship should not be the primary focus of your prayers for others. And so simply ask yourself, who do I pray for? Who are the individuals that I pray for regularly? And I would ask further, do you pray for the men and women in this sanctuary, sitting here right now? Do you pray for them? When's the last time that you prayed for another church member? When's the last time you prayed for a church member who isn't in your Sunday school class? Or when's the last time you prayed for a church member that you don't know very well? We ought to be praying for one another. Being part of a body means taking responsibility for the other members of this body. Church members should regularly pray for other church members. And so to this end, I'm going to make only one suggestion here. And this is a simple yet really profound suggestion and that's to pray through the membership directory. That's my suggestion. View your membership directory as a prayer guide. It's your, it's your prayer book. Because in the, the membership directory, you have a list of all of our active members. And they're listed. They're even alphabetical in columns. And you have a great guide to help you make sure that you're praying for everyone regularly. In fact, we're going to be putting a new one out within the next month or so. 
Okay, and, and we're even going to make this, this next one smaller so that it'll fit right in the front of your Bible because we want it to be used by you as a prayer guide for the other members of this church. Your Bible and your membership directory ought to be the two books, not the only two books, but at least the only two books that you read every day. I want you to pray for other members of this church. I've been praying through our directory on and off for the past three years. But, but this week, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm preparing the sermon, I'm like, I've, I've got to get more organized. I want to be more faithful. And so, so I've made these changes and, and these, these organizing things that, that's going to help me to pray more regularly through our membership directory. And so I want to encourage you to do the same. In these next couple of weeks, if you get a phone call from me saying, how can I pray for you? I haven't heard something through the grapevine. I'm just trying to know how I can pray for you, okay? That often happens. Hey, what, what happened, Pastor? What, what, what did you hear? That's not, I'm just, I just want to know how I can pray for you. And so that should be a regular part of life within this body. And one thing I've learned, and this has been confirmed over and over, is that relationships are great fuel for prayer. Relationships are great fuel for prayer. The more I get to know someone, the more I get involved in their lives, the easier and actually more prone I am to pray for them. That's just the natural overflow. As I get to know someone, their cares, their concerns become more pressing to me. And the easier and more prone I am to pray for them, the more that I do. Whereas the church member that I don't know, I'm not going to find it easy to pray for. And so one way is, is just get to know the people sitting beside you. Start, start building relationships for the purpose of getting to know them to become part of their lives so that you can then pray for them. And it'll take time, but, but you don't have to get to know someone to pray for them, even in the cases where I don't know the person or family very well. So, so I know, even at our size church, there's going to be people on the, in the membership directory that you don't really know very well. That's going to be the truth, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's always going to be the case. But even in those cases, you can pray for them. You can pray on their behalf. A great thing to do is to find truths in your Bible reading to pray on the behalf of others. And so this week, if, if you're doing the Bible reading plan that, that we're, we're doing as a church, to, I think it's tomorrow, you'll read Galatians 5. And so Galatians 5, Paul says, Here, here's the fruit of a spirit-filled life. And so the fruit of the spirit is, is here's all these characteristics. There's a great song that, that the Jordans can teach you later. But, but love, joy, peace, these are fruits of the spirit. And so you can pray for those you don't know well. They still need to grow in their showing or display of the fruits of the spirit. So you can say, help this person. I don't know what they look like. I don't really know what they're going through, but, but help them to grow in patience this week or this month. Help them to keep in step with the Spirit. So you can pray and ought to pray for other church members. I want us to be a church filled with members who pray for each other because we need God. Again, our faith expressed. We need God to intervene in our lives and in the lives of those who are part of this fellowship. And then finally, our last point, healthy members pray for their leaders. Healthy members pray for their leaders. This, as I said earlier, was the focus of chapter four in the book that we, that we provided. Um, and I'd encourage you to go back and look at that. But let me mention a few ways for you to pray for your leaders. First thing, we have a unique opportunity as a church to pray for our future leaders. We're looking to fill two positions in our church in the near future. And so we ought to pray for those specific people. 
We ought to pray for God to send the right people. We don't want to fill these positions with anyone. We want the God-ordained right people to come help serve our church body, to care for our church. And so we ought to be praying for those individuals. The Lord knows who they are. Pray for them. Pray that, that God would send them here. This is the first thing. Healthy members pray for future church leaders. And so I would, I would encourage you, pray and pray and pray so that when the individuals come, we can say, yes, this is the God-ordained person. We can tell them, we've been praying for you. It can only help for us to corporately be pleading with God to send the right people. So we have to pray for our future leaders. Second, pray for, and this is, this is more personal for me, and these, again, these are all covered in that book, so you can go look at chapter four, but pray for my preaching. I mean, it's pretty remar- remarkable for me to think that God uses my words to accomplish his purposes in the lives of people. That God would, would use the preaching of his word to, to change the lives of his people. That, that's remarkable. But, but that's how God has set up his church. That, that's the purpose that he's given to his word. And so the preaching is always going to be the primary focus of our corporate gathering. Preaching has been and should always be the center of corporate gatherings. When I say preaching, I mean proclaiming and expounding and explaining what the Bible says. I want it to be biblical preaching. Preaching is not preaching if it's not biblical. And, and so, so pray for my preaching that God would work. I mean, week after week, now I normally go through books of the Bible, but normally my weekly schedule involves between, depending on, on the week and the passage, I spend between 10 and 20 hours reading and studying, and thinking, and typing out sermons. Anywhere between 10 to 20, maybe 25. Every week. But even, even with all that time, you think, well, I could preach a sermon with that much time, but even with all that time, there's still some Saturday nights or Sunday mornings when I, when I wake up and I think to myself, this sermon is worthless. Or, this messenger is worthless. Or, these people don't care what I have to say, or I don't care what I have to say, or why am I doing this? Right? So, so these are some thoughts as, I, as I'm preparing to preach this supernatural act that God has, has deemed fit to use for your good and my good every week. And, and though I've, I've only been preaching weekly for, for just over three years, that's still almost, give or take a few, almost 150 weeks that I've spent studying and preparing and studying and preparing for this 40-minute time slot on Sunday morning. Week after week after week. And normally most Sundays when I get home, I'll take a short nap. That's one of the things I do every Sunday. But at some point Sunday afternoon, my mind is already thinking about, well, what's next week's sermon? So, So it's just finished, but guess what? It's coming again. And then there's those weeks that unexpected things come up, like my wife gets sick, or I get sick, or a church member is hospitalized, or there's conflict between church members, or, or a, a crisis arises. And on those weeks, Sunday isn't delayed in coming. It's still coming. I don't know if you've noticed, but the days of the week come every week. And it's, it's my words on Sunday morning that God has determined to use. 
I mean, is he crazy? I mean, it's remarkable that God would use words from someone like me to accomplish his supernatural work. And I, I say all this to help give you an idea to what it's like to be me, but also to urge you, pray for me, support me. I'm doing something I can't do. We need God, you need God to, to intervene as I'm preaching. So pray for my preparation time. Pray for the time that I'm here preaching. Pray for those listening. Pray because if God doesn't do what only God can do, my preaching is in vain. Because as much as I enjoy preaching, and I do enjoy preaching, I want you to know that, but as much as I enjoy it, my enjoyment doesn't guarantee success or effectiveness. Only God can do that. God's the one who knows every heart of every hearer in this room. God's the one who knows exactly what you need to hear today. And he's the one that must take my words and apply them to your hearts. And so you ought to be praying for him to do that each and every week. Second, pray for my family. In one sense, pray for my family because we're, we're just like your family. And so Jancy and I struggle as impatient parents. I struggle as a selfish, selfish husband. We get sick. We worry about our kids. And so in that sense, we're pretty normal, and we need prayer just like everyone else needs prayer. But there's a sense in which my family is unique. So, so I didn't grow up in a pastor's family, so I don't know what it's like for my kids to grow up as kids of a pastor, but I know that there are many kids who have grown up to despise the church because they grew up as pastor's kids. So pray for my kids. I can't imagine the pressures that they are going to feel as they grow up. I mean, it's often described that, that pastors and their families live in a fishbowl. Everyone is watching I don't know what it's like for, for my kids. I don't know what it'll be like. I can't imagine what it's like for them to walk in the, the church and everyone know their name. I mean, they love it now, but is that always going to be the case? I don't know. I don't know what it's like for them to constantly be watched and compared to others, either positively or negatively. Well, look at that pastor's kids. He's, he's perfect. You better be like him. Or you're the pastor's kids. Why are you acting that way? I don't know what that's like, but they're, they're going to feel pressure that are unique. So pray for them. Pray for my wife. I can't imagine the unique struggles that she has. Expectations either that she places on herself or expectations that she feels others have placed on her. I don't, I don't know what it's like. I mean, she feels hurt and pain and sorrow just like everyone else. Her, her feelings are tied to this church. And so when people leave the church or if people just cut her off all of a sudden, when people talk about her behind her back, when she's frustrated with the church, if she's discouraged by how things are going, she can't just go find a new church. She's stuck here as long as I'm here. And so you ought to pray for her. My wife is, if you know my wife, you know she's a, a, a blessing to me. She's a blessing to this church, but she has struggles that are unique to her. So pray for her. So pray for my family, my kids, and my wife. Pray for me as the leader of my family. Pray for me as a husband and a father. Because not only am I Jancy's husband and my kid's father, I'm also her pastor and I'm also Pastor Nathan to them. Sometimes my kids just to be funny saying, Pastor Nathan, can you come here? <laughs> and so as, as this dual-rolled person, I have a unique opportunity to either, A, endear them to the church. That's my, that's my prayer. That's my hope. Right? Dad is just a sinner like everyone else. God's just given him a different job than most people. But, but still love the church. Don't hold dad against the church. That's my aim. That's, I have an opportunity to do that. But I also have an opportunity to repulse them from the church. Look, look at my dad. Look at how he's at home. He's so angry, but, but at church, everyone thinks he's perfect. I, I don't want to repulse them from the church. So, so pray for me as their dad and as a pastor to, to endear them to the church, to point them not to me, 
but to Christ. So pray for me, pray for my family. Other two things I'll, I'll mention here, and I'll just I'll, I'll mention these again. You can go look at, at chapter four in the book, but but pray for my protection and pray for my health. Pray for protection and health, and I would emphasize both the physical aspects of protection and health, but also the spiritual aspects of protection and health. So pray for my physical health. Pray for my exit. We just joined the YMCA. Pray that I'll be disciplined to, to be active and to, and to be healthy and, and lead our family in that. But, but pray for spiritual health. Pray, pray that God would protect us from the evil one who, who's set out to, to trap and destroy, not, not just all Christians, but I would say especially leaders. There's a lot at stake with Christian leaders. That's why, why so often it's, it's tr- so tragic when they fall. Because it's not just an individual who falls. It's, it's an individual and all those who have been influenced by them. And so pray for my, my spiritual protection and spiritual health. So, so these are some things to pray for. I, I, I want us to be a praying church. I want us to grow in this. Um, and, and I think as we do, we will honor, honor the Lord and our growth towards health. Let, let me pray as we close.